Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable podcast. If you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Scott. I run the SwansyWay.co.uk. It's uh, one of the biggest independent Swan sites out there. Uh, check that out. You can follow us on Twitter at the SwansyWay. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the uh, EPL Roundtable. You can follow me on Twitter at jim 88 Hi, this is John Wallen from Play Taga, a fantasy Premier League draft site and a Liverpool supporter as well. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Gapper. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. We're not going to do making the rounds as such because it's going to be most of what we talk about is catching everybody up with our respective clubs this summer. Um, things have kind of all been popping off at Tottenham. Obviously, it's transfer season. We'll start there. Uh, we've already seen uh, Lewis Holtby leave. We expected that. He was on loan to buy and Hamburg stayed up, so they did have the funds to purchase him. So he's now gone. A lot of fans were kind of uproarious uh, about him being kind of shoved out the door, considering we don't have many better options at the club. But I would like to, again, restate is something I used to, was saying often last season, that you know, for all of his sins, Tim Sherwood was brought in as a you know youth advisor for, for Tottenham initially. And then we brought in Pochettino, who obviously did very well with youth in his career thus far. And if neither of them rated Lewis Holtby enough to include him, I think that, that says more than any fan really could. Um, we sold Paulinho to a Chinese club that I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce. Um, but we managed to recoup about $10 million of the 18 that we spent to bring him in. So that was a nice little bit of business from Daniel Levy. I do think he still has a lot to offer. He still has all of the abilities that you know hailed him as the Brazilian Lampard when he first came to Tottenham, but obviously never put it together. Um, there was some talk within kind of the Tottenham-based media about uh, how people would take side bets in training on when he would pick up a quote-unquote injury. Uh, so apparently kind of work hard wasn't really in his ethos, and, and obviously that wouldn't match with a manager like Pochettino. Uh, but wish him all the best, and I think it'll be a very long time before we see any Brazilians at White Hart Lane. Um, just about out the door, Etienne Capu. Everybody's saying that him to Watford is pretty much a done deal. I think it's a pretty good deal for Watford, but I do think a lot of people are kind of falling into the we haven't seen him in a while, so he must have been as good as we think he was. Um, he wasn't able to force himself into a Pochettino side that saw Ryan Mason capitalize on a Premier League run, the likes of which we haven't really seen for first-year players, short of Harry Kane, who obviously did even more with his chance. Um, people that are probably on the way out, Kirakesh, Kabul, Adebayor, Soldado, Stambouli, and Lennon, um, thus say many papers. So it'll be interesting to see if we move all of those. Uh, obviously, it would leave big voids in the club. Betting was suspended today on bringing Toby Alderweireld to Tottenham uh, with Gianluca De Marzio, who has established himself as one of the premier kind of ITK guys 
saying that it's just about done. Belgian media also reporting it could be done in the next couple of days. So that does look like a goer. Uh, kind of just paper talk ones. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic um, from Anderlecht, I think, would be a really good signing for us. Allegedly, we were scouting them a lot last year, but word was we were really looking at Dennis Prate, who's now linked with a few other clubs. So not sure if there's a whole lot to that, but would be good to get another young striker in. Not sure if he'd love sitting behind Kane, uh, but if he was willing to wait his turn, that would be good. But he is um, kind of uh, uh, an unruly young chap, so it'll be interesting to see if we could iron that out if he does come. Uh, the Schneiderlin rumors won't die for us, but it does seem that two other clubs in United and Arsenal are both ahead of us to sign him. Jordan Shakiri, Stoke, or us, allegedly. Um, you know, he, he hasn't done incredibly well. Uh, at Inter Milan, and he seems to always perform very well when he's at clubs that are a little bit smaller than him, and, you know, not to <laughs> insult the uh, Switzerland national team, but he does kind of run that team, uh, and when he's not in that position, he, he kind of struggles to impact much. Um, and Kevin Morales, which seems the obvious choice. A Lennon-Morales swap wouldn't stun me, but, you know, swap deals are pretty rare, so not too sure. As for players we've already brought in, I counted Holtby as a loney going out, so I'll count uh, Della Ali and Alex Pritchard both coming back. Uh, Della Ali obviously coming up from uh, League One, but hoping to make a big impact. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he got pretty soon loaned out, but we're going to give them him and Pritchard a, a full preseason to see if, if they can stick with the first team. Uh, Alex Pritchard obviously got hurt in the U21 Euros, so we're not really sure what his timetable is, but hopefully he'll be back soon enough to really make an impact. We also brought in Kevin Wimmer from uh, Köln in Germany uh, to kind of be another center back behind Jan Vertonghen. I, I think we lined this up in the worry that Jan would be on his way out, but there's been no no murmur of that really since the season's ended. So I guess we're just kind of grooming him as a, a long-term replacement. Um, and we also brought in Kieran Trippier, who uh, <laughs> John Fantasy people will know from last year, uh, right back from Burnley, who, who managed to put in a lot of really good crosses and, and kind of rack up some fantasy points from that wing-back position. Um, a lot of internal concern at Tottenham about Kyle Walker's long-term health. A lot of concern about whether Yedlin's good enough to be a right back or maybe he's a right mid. I don't really think he has the ball skills to be moved up the pitch, but we will see going forward. Um, but I, I would expect Trippier to walk in and pretty much start day one while others are a little bit more hesitant on whether or not that will happen. Um, the, the really big news uh, on top of all the rumors and stuff is uh, more rumors, but this time about the stadium, which obviously we finally got the okay to build. We've been making slight adjustments to the building plan throughout the summer. Uh, allegedly, there's going to be a big plan announced on Wednesday that many are reporting to be a uh, sponsorship and, and partnership with the NFL, uh, which would include a basement level of White Hart Lane to include well, the new quote-unquote White Hart Lane naming rights arena, as some of the images say. Um, saying there might be a basement that'll involve a second pitch so that the match pitch for Tottenham won't get chewed up while they're there, potentially adding a hotel to the build site um, as well to really host all of those NFL people coming over. Again, this is uh, more on the rumor side, but a lot of pretty influential people within Tottenham circles are saying it, so I would not be surprised if that happened. Regardless of the NFL stuff, there will be new plans announced on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens with that going forward. Um, no news yet on where Tottenham would play in the season that the stadium is being built. Um, I saw that a couple politicians in London were saying they'd do their best to keep Tottenham where they are but um, in London, but we'll see whether or not that takes hold going forward. 
Uh, had a couple changes, brought in some people on, on the business side and let a few people go. Um, don't have the names in front of me, but uh, I think we brought in somebody from Spain that's going to be our new scout for Spain and Portugal, um, an area that we haven't really tapped much outside of Soldado, and that didn't go phenomenally well. So that'll be also interesting as we kind of continue through the season and the near future. All right, Scott, uh, I just talked about a whole bunch of players for Tottenham. I hear you've made some transfers yourself. Yeah, we're pretty much done. <clears throat> I think it's um, <laughs> it's kind of the way the club have aimed to go. Um, I think if we could have been pretty much done by this point every season, I think the club would, would rather do that. And it was something that Gary Monk was very, very big on as soon as I think the final whistle was kicked on the last game of the season. Uh, the final whistle went even. I think he was already talking about how one of the things he wanted to do was get all the players he wanted for next season in early, have a proper pre-season. Um, and be able to build as such then with his squad and get that done early so you're not f- faffing around on deadline day, not knowing your squad, etc. We, we've pretty much done that. And, and to be honest, I think the the overriding um, sort of feeling in regards to our transfer business amongst fans is that we've done very well. We brought in uh, Christopher Nordvelt. Um, you might know more of him than I do, to be honest, Kev, because he, he's, yeah, he's been playing at Heronvin. Um, and doing quite well. I, I was looking at his stats, keeping a fair amount of clean sheets. Um, I think Isaacson, the Sweden number one, got injured. Um, so he's been playing as number one for Sweden. Um, so good on him. So we've got two international goalkeepers at the moment in our squad. I brought in Frank Tabanu from uh, from Saint-Étienne. Uh, looks an absolute baller, I've got to be honest, for a left-back. If you can find me a left-back that's got a better highlights reel than that guy... <laughs> It's probably a highlight through to Gareth Bale from his time at the, right at the beginning of Spurs. Yeah. Spurs. And uh, they probably take license with what position he was playing when, when they put the video in, you know. Um, but yeah, he started out as a left winger and, and there's videos of him scoring all kinds of goals from 30 yards and, and running past people. And he's eventually been converted to a left back. Uh, we've been lacking something on the left-hand side in terms of getting forward and offering support. So he's going to be a very interesting challenger uh, for Neil Taylor on the left. So that makes us very strong there. Um, Andre Au is obviously the big one. Absolutely cool. Yeah, we were linked with him until the moment he signed with you. That was pretty surprising. Yeah, yeah like, well, Philippe Auclair, one of, one of the big French journalists, um, he's quoted as saying he thinks he's the only Champions League quality player in the Marseille side, or was anyway, um, until we signed him. So I think he had an 18 million euro release clause in his contract before that expired as well. So that kind Oof. of. Yeah, so that kind of frames sort of how highly regarded he was and stuff. And you look at his goal record, considering he's not a striker, I think there's only one season in the last five that he's hit less than double figures in total goals. Um, he's, and he's still only 25, so he's young enough to keep improving. Um, he's saying all the right things about wanting to come somewhere to play football and get his head down and improve and work on his game, etc. Um, so, so I think everybody's really excited about him. And then lastly, the the force of the signings we've done sort of officially so far. Um, is it Adair from Portugal? Um, there, it, there's a lot of, um, what, what do you call it, armchair, armchair critics. Uh, oh, look at his goal record, he's pants. We, sh- we should have spent 30 million on a striker. If you want to spend 30 million on a striker, go follow Man City or, or a top four side. We're not going to spend 30 million on a striker. We're not going to spend 20. We're probably never going to spend 12 again. <laughs> Let's be honest, we bought Boney. That worked out all right. It's going to set us up financially. It's going to be a while before we're spending that kind of money again because in an article I wrote earlier on today, I said it then, we don't need to. We've got a very good mm-hmm. squad, I think. 
when you look at our first team squad, I think the only player who we've signed this summer who will walk into the team is Andre Ayew, and that's on merit. I think he'll go in alongside Gomez. Um, say we're playing a 4-4-2 diamond. Ayew and Gomez, Gomez up top. Cork, Shelby, Key and Sigurdsson in midfield. And then a back four and, and, and keeper kind of picks itself unless Tabanu can force Taylor out. So we've got a very strong first team. Um, and the signings we've made, they're going to have to force their way in, really, apart from AU. And I think the most important transfers we've done, another article I wrote today, are ones that haven't happened. Normally, this time of year, there's all kinds of rumours about Swans players being linked to this club and that club. And, and there have been rumours. You know, Fabianski's been linked away, Key's been linked away, uh, Shelby's been linked to Spurs. All sorts of these, these rumours always fly about, but there's been nothing from inside the club. Everybody looks happy. None of the players are sending out veiled messages about, oh, it would be an honour to play for this club and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so I think so that, that's something that needs highlighting as well, I think, is how much good work the, the club have done in creating this atmosphere where all the players want to stay and they appreciate now that it's a really, really good platform to build off. Because realistically, unless you're going to a club who's oper- offering European football, it's either that or somebody's offering you a mega pay packet. Um, those are the only two ways that you're going to prize somebody away from the Swans, I think, at the moment. So, yeah, so that's a, it's a, the transfer business in has been really good. Jazz Richards has left. He's gone to Fulham for about 500 grand. Um, I think, to be honest, they kind of sorted out a cheap fee just because uh, he needs to be playing football. And I think that that was for, for the best for all involved. I thought he, he's a pretty tidy right back, to be honest. And a bit sad to see him go because he's a local guy. But like I say, he needs to be playing football. So, so good luck to him. Hopefully he can make a career for himself at Fulham. Um, who else has been released? A couple of sort of fringe players been released. I'm expecting Dwight Tiendali to go before the end of the summer. Um, Marvin Emnes might move on as well. Nathan Dyer perhaps as well, because we've got an abundance of wingers, and one of our formations doesn't even have any wingers. So, um, so I'm expecting Nathan Dyer to move on perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's kind of well, it's part of the course. That's one's really, isn't it? It's get your business done early and get it done sensibly, and and, and don't spend much money while you're doing it. And, <laughs> the, the, the longer that goes on the better in my opinion alright uh, before we started recording you mentioned uh, something about kind of the expenditure that clubs are expected to, to pay for uh, fan experience and stuff do you want to touch on that yeah well um, every year I think it's run for two years now there's something called the away supporters initiative where each Premier League club I think they don't get given extra money it's just something they're asked to kind of ring fence um, it's £200,000 per club which is exclusively to be used um, improving the away, the away fans' experience. So be that, like Hull have taken a lot of flack off their fans because I think they spent all of the 200 grand basically doing up the away end at their stadium and making it nicer for, for the other team's fans. So given all the stuff that's gone on with the chairman and the fans, that, that didn't go down too well. Um, the Swans have probably done more than most. Um, just chat literally just before we came on air. I had a message from the from the, from the assistant chairman at the club going, there's a couple of things that weren't quite right in your article there. <laughs> so like rapidly amending that before we came on air. Um, I think we did reciprocal deals with eight clubs to knock a tenner off the ticket price. There was another three clubs where the Swans subsidised the ticket cost because the other team weren't willing to enter into a reciprocal deal. Uh, there was two games where they provided free food for the fans uh, and another game where they provided a free programme at Arsenal. So I think the Swans have probably done more than any club in the Premier League, and I happily stand corrected on that, but that's the way it seems. Um, but just from doing some maths and stuff earlier on, I was just my attitude is it needs to be more. I mean, like the ways the clubs are spending money, it varies massively, but it's two hundred thousand uh, pound. Manchester United, for example, have uh, 
this season, they took £5 off the ticket, uh, every away ticket for all Elroy fans. I worked that out. Basically, it works out to something like 2,100 tickets per match, uh, across per away tickets per match across the entire season uh, for £200,000. Now, I'd argue, especially with this new television deal coming in, I think I worked it out that if, if they reduced it to, say, 10%, uh, sorry, if they upped the subsidy to £10 per ticket, that would only cost the club, say, £400,000 per year. And I think that's an amount with the TV money clubs can swallow, surely. You know, you're looking at like 1%, less than 1% of the total TV revenue. And that's just TV revenue. That's not inclu- including merchandising and match day tickets and, and, and all the other revenue streams that the clubs make uh, clubs make their money from now. So um, there's there's a 20s plenty initiative from the Football Support Federation um, where they're saying £20 should be a limit for all away tickets. And I think it's one of those things where that's probably unrealistic in the long term, but you've got to aim at something that drastic. Otherwise... You know, if you aim for a £40 away ticket, you'll get a £45 one. If you aim for a £20 one, you might get a £30 one. You've got to aim big with these things. And I think hopefully more can be done in the, in uh, in this area because the, the way I see it is the more and more TV revenue makes up bigger and bigger percentages of clubs' total revenue, the smaller a percentage of the revenue is made up from from tickets and, 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 that, and, and that angle. So... If you're making, you know, one percent, zero point five percent of your total revenue from away tickets, then then just take the hit financially and, and make it better for fans. You can afford that, surely. And if you can't afford that, as I said in an article I wrote earlier, I question the financial management of the club. If you're getting a hundred million a season just from TV revenue, if you can't afford four hundred grand to sort your fans out, you're probably paying somebody four hundred grand a year too much, in, in my opinion. But um, I'm sure there's people who'll disagree with me, but it's. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things that needs flagging up more. I mean, it's good that they've got this initiative. It is really good. And the Swans, like I say, did lots of good work this season. But I think as a league, as a whole, I think the aims need to be higher. And I think they need to be pushing this now and and seeing what they can get out of the Premier League and getting the clubs to agree to. Yeah, I was just going to jump on this as well. It's certainly an interesting um, idea. It is kind of interesting to see how each different club has spent their ring fence £200,000. To be honest, I don't actually know what Leicester have done with all of our money. I know that a lot of it has gone towards subsidised coaches um, for away fans travel. Um, so the first 10 coaches, I don't know how many each coach fits, maybe 60, 70 people, um, is subsidised to £10 return wherever we go in, in the country, which you know isn't so much of a saving when you're talking about Aston Villa, which probably would be about that anyway, um, but is a massive saving when you're thinking about going to Newcastle, Sunderland, Um, And the fact that we haven't got a lot of local, in inverted commas, games, I think our closest game is Aston Villa in Birmingham, which still isn't as close as we've been used to when you consider in the Championship we were playing the likes of Nottingham Forest and Derby uh, and once upon a time Coventry as well. So I think that's been quite well received by our fans, to be honest. I don't think there's been a lot of coverage about it in the local press, so so maybe a lot of it has gone on that. I'm not sure if Scott's got any... um, kind of breakdown on if there's been any expenditure anywhere else as far as Leicester are concerned but it certainly makes interesting reading um, in terms of how people choose to spend their money because um, I think one thing that Hull did as well was they pretty much spent as, as Scott said all their money on um, the away end but also they bought the odd t-shirt they did some t-shirts actually that's what we've done we've done a lot of t-shirts this year which um, kind of gets 
um, the clubs. It, I mean, it, it gets everyone involved, I suppose, and it does look quite good on the on the TV coverage when everyone's wearing kind of a, a T-shirt. But I think the whole fans took exception to it because it was pretty much the only bit of the um, the uh, the expenditure from everybody else who benefited from that two hundred grand at the, at the Casey Stadium were the away fans. So. Um, yeah, as Scott said, it'd be interesting to see if there was a commitment from the clubs to kind of match that maybe and and go up again. But getting them to ring fence anything, I, I guess, is kind of difficult. And, you know, the fact that people aren't willing to do reciprocal ticket deals just shows that money is still going to talk in these arenas, even though it makes up probably less than, you know, a handful of percentage points of people's um, total income with the TV deal and stuff. So hopefully... Um, people will be a bit more open with it next season maybe and we can see what um what people do and and people can kind of learn from each other i guess it's a learning curve it's only been out out two years so it would be nice to see people kind of copying ideas like the reciprocal ticket scheme um where they could agree with other clubs to to, to not shaft each other's supporters basically because away tickets are extortionate in the premier league it's one thing that i've noticed as a as a championship supporting uh a supporter coming up to the premier league you know the, the the cost of a match day experience in inverted commas makes me feel sick saying that actually match day experience but it it really is expensive when you go up to the top level um you i think we were paying upwards of 50 pounds at the um at the manchester united games i think it was probably similar for um newcastle was pretty pricey as well and, and tottenham uh, Chelsea was expensive. Arsenal was really cheap, actually. I'm not sure if we did a deal with them because our game was a Tuesday night. They did £26 for us, which was quite good. But yeah, it would certainly be interesting to see if we could get some more traction on the uh, the away tickets. Cause I think that's what most clubs care about. I think if you mm. told people they weren't going to get free T-shirts and breakfasts on their away days, but their tickets were going to be £10, £15, £20 cheaper, it would have a lot more of an impact than anything else that the clubs could do. Yeah, and I think just quickly on from that, Jim, because it gives people the option. I think that's the key for me. Um, like, freebies are brilliant. Every, like, the Swans gave fans going to the Palace game last game of the season. Um, everybody had a free shirt, which is brilliant, and everybody loves that. But at the same time, having the option, because football is so expensive to follow now, having the option of having that money in your pocket across the season will make a massive difference. And, and like you say, being able to see that breakdown, I see no reason why that information shouldn't be readily available. And I'd also say that if... Um, like the Swans have got the Sports Trust represent, representatives on the board and it, it, it's very uh, entwined with the fans up to board level. Um, with other clubs, that might not be the case. So I think with every club, I know with uh, quite a few clubs from looking at the information I was looking at earlier, there was discussions with the fans where they were working out the best way to spend the money. I know Chelsea did that and a couple of Everton as well. Um, but I can't see... If, if, that, if there wasn't a dialogue between the club and the fans themselves in deciding where that money was spent... I see that as a massive, uh, well, a massive error, being completely honest, because otherwise, who's to say you're spending it on the right thing? Surely you've got to be asking the fans, what do you want that spent on? And then whatever the whatever the resounding answer is, that's what it should be spent on, surely. If, if that's what your fans are saying they want the money spent on, in my opinion, that's what it's there for. So I, I don't know. That, it seems a good way to do it to me anyway, to, to actually ask the fans first um, and then go with it from there. All right, uh, Jim, the, the away day experience isn't the only thing that's happened recently at Leicester. Obviously, you've lost the manager. There were some other unsavory things coming out of the club. Uh, what's really your take on everything that's happened? 
It's been a traumatic few months, to be honest. I can't wait for the football to start again so that we can have another relegation battle. At least it'd be something to talk about other than kind of unsavoury issues, as you said, on, on foreign shores and domestic ones most recently as well. Um, so let's start from the beginning. What happened first? Um, we went to Thailand on a post-season. It's, it's not a tour. So I know a lot of people were getting it confused with the likes of Tottenham. Uh, and Chelsea, I think, who went to Australia as well, um, and playing um, A-League teams and Thailand All-Star 11s and, and, and people like that. Um, this wasn't one of those. It was uh, because our owners are Thai and they are kind of big name, not, not personalities or celebrities as such, but they're businessmen. You know, they run a big commercial empire in Thailand. And I've got no doubt, I'm not cynical enough to believe that, you know, the purchase of a, of a football club with the idea of getting us promoted to the Premier League was not, at least in part, down to the fact that they thought it would be a good PR move in terms of getting their name you know, further afield in Asia, um, especially because the Premier League TV deal and stuff is so big now and it's so popular in other countries outside of the UK. So we go out there and about a week and a half into it, I think it was a two-week trip and it emerged that um, three young players um, had been involved in a uh, evening of fun and frolics, shall we say, with a uh, local lady and videotaped it, which is um, kind of weird enough, but they also were a little bit uh, unsavoury with their language. Um, and subsequently, they thought it was a good idea to send this racially offensive video to their friends, I guess, in England or people they thought were were kind of would be would be uh, impressed or whatever. But th those so-called friends then leaked it to the press, or it was somehow passed to the Daily Mirror, um, who who splashed it all over the back pages. You know, anything like that is going to absolutely blow up in in the kind of close season because it, it is very very quiet with with stories and there's literally nothing to oust it off the back pages for weeks and weeks and weeks so it's been a, a big talking point and it's kind of gone well beyond the club it's it's been something whenever you say you're you're a Leicester fan now and you meet someone new they say you know I've had people coming up to me that don't even like football and they're saying oh those silly boys in Thailand etc etc um and so basically we called the players home the three players in question um who were Tom Hopper, Adam Smith and uh, James Pearson, son of Nigel Pearson, the Leicester manager, um, or former Leicester manager as he is now. That still feels weird to say that. Um, we called them back a few days early from the end of the tour with the, the idea of the club put a short statement out to say, you know, we're going to internally investigate this. This is going to be, you know, all we're going to say for now. And when we come back to you, that will be a more definitive answer. Um, I think... I haven't, you know, this is by no way of a scientific poll, but I think the general consensus of the fans was this is a disgrace. They should never play for the club again, uh, which I was wholeheartedly in agreement with. One thing that I did find interesting, a point of discussion, was that because it is three players that haven't really um, made it to the first team, you know, they, are, they, they were promising prospects, um, Adam Smith particularly and Tom Hopper, very, very good academy player, you know, regulars in the under-21 team, which has done very, very well this year. We got to the FA Cup semi-finals before we lost to, to Manchester City. Um, and we do have a good youth setup at Leicester, so they, they are good prospects to lose. Um, but a lot of people were saying, you know, would that be the case? Would you be changing your tune if it was Esteban Cambiasso, Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy, for example? 
um, three kind of established first team players, would you then be calling for their heads? And kind of that's an interesting discussion point. As far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a moral thing. You shouldn't be allowed to get away with that because of who you are. Um, different people might have different points of view on that, kind of what's best for the club in the long term. But essentially the two well, all three players had their contracts terminated after about 10 days of it being very, very quiet on the grapevine. Um, two of which, Tom Hopper and uh, Adam Smith, have subsequently been signed up. I think one has gone to Scunthorpe and the other one has gone to Northampton. Um, you know, So they've had to take a significant drop down in, in wages, I guess, and, and certainly playing standard and their prospects of their future career. But as we know with football and we've seen with various different... Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware people throughout their careers stuff like this will be swept under the carpet if you are a very very good footballer although they've been cast off from the Leicester City Academy I've got no no doubt in my mind that if Tom Hopper goes on to score 30 league goals next season someone from the championship or higher could potentially pay a lot of money for his services and that will then just become a footnote on his Wikipedia page um, way behind his goal stats and and you know how well he's playing um, it, I did find it strange actually that James Pearson wasn't picked up immediately. Maybe it's, he's not as good a prospect as as the other two. They kind of outdate him in terms of the Leicester Academy. James Pearson came in when Nigel Pearson did when he he um, he came back to the club after his his spell at Hull. Um, so maybe you know the fact that he was uh, not picked up kind of speaks volumes about that. But since then we've um, parted company with Nigel. Um, there are various stories doing the rounds about why it happened and stuff. I mean, the way that I see it is that nobody should really be surprised about the fact that it happened. Um, the timing of it is a little bit strange, but kind of, I think it's the, the the aftermath of what's happened in Thailand has had a huge part to play. Not only that, but you know, the relations between the club and the manager were already fractured, almost beyond repair last season. Um, they did essentially sack him in February, only to reinstate him or one of the board members reinstated him after another had sacked him. The issue is that now, who do we find as a replacement? There have been a few names being touted around. Um, I saw Martin O'Neill's had a big move at the bookmakers today, the former Leicester City manager who was kind of the manager in their heyday when I was getting into football and who kind of captured the attention of the city and we played some of our best football and certainly won the most recent trophies of our of our um, top flight era under him. Um, you, you know, we played UEFA Cup football under him. We won two, um, two UA, uh, well, two Worthington Cups or, or Carling Cups as they were and now they're Capital One Cups. So um, it's interesting to see him linked with a job even though he's the Republic of Ireland manager. I can't see that happening myself. The big story uh, just before the weekend was Gus Hiddink, an approach for him. Um, I can see that 
as a positive move in a light because he is a big name manager and I think that's one of the key things that a lot of people have got to appreciate now. I think the club are going to take this as an opportunity to appoint a quote-unquote big-name manager, which has its own pitfalls, because obviously that is probably going to mean going to someone like Hiddink, who isn't necessarily going to be A, cheap, or B, has been in club football very recently. Or you know, C, exciting. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he didn't, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory at, 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 the, uh, at the Netherlands job, mm. and he hasn't really held a top-flight job for a little while. Um, he has kind of become a, a managerial gun for hire um, and, and gone around various places. Um, so it's interesting to see his link with him. To be honest, Neil Lennon's got a lot of a mention and he was the initial favourite. Um, I can't see that happening. He, he is a club legend. He was playing under O'Neill in that kind of heyday. He hasn't exactly blown me away managerially, though. I mean, he, he won basically what essentially is an egg and spoon race in, in Scotland with Celtic three years in a row, which is fine. I personally don't see that. And and everybody was pointing to the fact that he is, you know, they played really well in Europe and they beat Barcelona um, when Fraser Forster had that absolutely amazing game played out of his skin. Uh, they beat Barcelona and they got through to the knockout stages once and, you know, kind of few years under his his tenure I personally don't see that plus a few months at Bolton Wanderers in the second division where he didn't exactly pull up any trees either as managerial kind of an upgrade on Nigel Pearson and I think that for me is one of the most important things now not to go backwards and bring in a manager who will essentially put us in the same position as we were last year scrapping for relegation I think the idea now is to to be aspirational about it and take a step up because our owners are ambitious and um, you know they have already given interviews and, and kind of done press around the subject of wanting to be playing European football in the next five years. I think the quote was when we first got promoted. So one of those years now has gone. Um, you know they're they're looking for a similar rise to Swansea, I suppose to kind of come in, establish yourself as a Premier League team, perhaps win a domestic trophy, but also push on towards the upper echelons of the division and not only become a, a mainstay where you're not looking over your shoulder from day one, but also look to playing regular European football in the next kind of few years, which kind of is easier said than done because that's a lot of teams' ambition. Um, we have got the money to back it up as well. Um, the signings have been quite interesting. For me, over the last few weeks, we brought in Christian Fuchs from uh, Schalke, who was released on a free, I believe, from them. Um, he's a fullback, and we did need cover at fullback, so it's good to see him coming in because he does apparently have kind of. Uh, he's going to be a huge upgrade on the options that we've already got in that area. Um, obviously, playing at a very, very good level with with Schalke this year, both in terms of Champions League and, and domestically in Bundesliga. So. That's an interesting signing. Um, we've also brought in Robert Huth, which is absolutely huge on a uh, permanent Literally. deal from Stoke. <laughs> he, he is a man mountain, but in terms of his ability, you know, he he. I said this in the in the in the postseason kind of rap pod that I think I credit him more than anyone with us surviving the Premier League. He he turned around our defence um, almost overnight. His his influence cannot be understated, and he was worth so many points to us last year that. I'm so glad that we moved heaven and earth to get him in. Um, I still find it weird that he's fallen out of favour with Mark Hughes at Stoke. I think it's a personal thing because I certainly don't think he's sub surplus to requirements there if you put a different manager in um, and they started afresh. So their loss is our gain, hopefully, and he comes in. You know, he, he, he's committed to the cause. 
he never looked kind of out of place. You wouldn't tell he was a lone player last year from his attitude and the way he went about things. He was absolutely brilliant from day one. Um, and the other signing that we've made um, on, a, on a permanent basis is Shinzi, uh, Shinji Osaki from Mines, another Bundesliga club. We brought him in. We've been tailing him for about two years. Um, we tried to get a deal done in January for him. He's a striker. Um, his goal record isn't absolutely brilliant, but um, but you know we we're looking for kind of improvements in 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 the striking department. I think still, and we might we might yet let one of our current strikers go. Uh, we let Chris Wood go to Leeds, but to be honest, he's been on the fringes for a long time. I think that we might still lose someone like Jamie Vardy. Um, over the summer, so we're kind of preparing ourselves for him. Uh, but yeah, we made those we made those signings um, before Nigel Pearson was sacked. So one of the key things for me is to work out whether we're after a coach or a manager in terms of someone who's not going to have that much say on signings and kind of they're going to be decided at board and scouting level because we've continued to make signings as well. Uh, my pick, and I've wrote about this a couple of times already would be someone like Roberto Di Matteo who still mm. I think has a point to prove in terms of the way that he was ousted at Chelsea yet he's managed and won you know the biggest tournament in club football in Europe um, Schalke's a bit of a basket case so I'm willing to overlook the, the madness that went on there um, but yeah it's certainly going to be interesting to see who we move for um, like I said the club seem in no rush so it could be another couple of weeks before we get going but with pre-season games starting pretty soon, hopefully we're making a, an appointment sooner rather than later. All right, uh, John. Obviously, Liverpool have already made a high-profile signing in Roberto Firmino. Bringing in Nathaniel Klein has also been well-touted. How are you feeling about Liverpool's summer this far? Oh, not too bad, I suppose. I mean, you've left out some incredibly important transfers. We also acquired Joe Gomez from Charlton. Bogdan. We just signed Bobby Adekanye from uh, the, I guess, disgraced Barcelona Academy. But, um, you know, I think this is, this is business as usual for Fenway Sports Group. I think this is going to be business as usual. Um, you know, quite honestly, whether Brendan Rodgers comes or goes. And, you know, with a lot of talk about managers and, and what's going on at Leicester and, and some of the odds. You know, Jurgen Klopp is still on at least one site, uh, 20 to 1, to become next permanent manager at Leicester. So... Um, you know, obviously still out there. It'd be nice to know that uh, he stayed out there through September. So when Brendan Rodgers is inevitably sacked on October 1st, we have a ready-made replacement to, to line up. Um, you know, I, this is a bit of a, a bit of an odd summer in that I think many supporters felt that this was going to have been the end of the Rodgers era and the, and the start of the, well, I guess, Klopp or whomever else era. Um, and it, it seems instead it's going to be uh, more of the same, where Manchester City continue to queue up new bids for Raheem Sterling and Liverpool look to spend the windfall on two or three players that, who may or may not be a replacement. Obviously, we saw last year with uh, you know, the, the transfer out of Luis Suarez that it's not that simple to replace one of the five best players in the world. Not to say that Raheem Sterling's in that class. But he's certainly uh, one of the two best players on Liverpool's current squad. And, you know, the signing of Roberto Firmino, excellent if we're keeping Sterling, if we're keeping Philip Coutinho, if we're, you know, enabling Jordan Henderson to take over 
that role in the middle alongside James Milner. I think I'll, oh, that's, it's wonderful. But if the Roberto Firmino signing is just the first in, you know, a, a series of two or three signings meant to replace Sterling and his, his production, then I think we're right back battling for fourth place um, at the end of this season. And I don't think that that's, um, you know, obviously as a supporter, it's not something that makes me happy, but I'm also not sure that that's a tenable long-term plan. And if, if Rogers isn't worth the extra five or seven points that he needs to be delivering to make sure that that squad finishes in fourth place, you know, it's going to be time for a new manager. And quite frankly, it's going to be, you know, another two or three years as the new manager comes in. Uh, Fenway Sports Group gives him a bit of time to stamp his authority on the side and on the setup. And it, it could be a little bit of a dry spell. So I'm certainly hoping that the Sterling rumors are just rumors and, and that any approaches are rebuffed and that this squad can build around, uh, you know, a Brazilian core, uh, a Brazilian and English core. Um, and if they can do that, it's, it's looking, you know, it's looking really good for the future. One quick stat on that, Kev. Just, you know, just for you, is that <laughs> last season, Coutinho led Liverpool with 109 successful dribbles. Sterling was second with 103. I'd pick any player on Liverpool. Who do you think was third with successful dribbles? Gerard. It was Emery Chan. <laughs> <laughs> Who played had, center back for a third of the season. And he had 34. So obviously, wow. Simon Roberto Firmino had more than 30 uh, last season for Hoffenheim. Um, you know, Excellent, excellent. Another player who can do anything he wants with the ball at his feet. Um, competent passer, good finisher. You know, that's that's a trio. I mean, that's what you need uh, to be successful in, in the setup that Rodgers wants to play. So again, if we have those three players, great shape. If we're signing him merely as a replacement for an outgoing player, you know, we're back to square one with maybe an extra twenty or thirty million pounds to spend. But you know, we're no better off for it. All interesting points. Um... I know uh, you're kind of more on the fantasy side. So for those guys and a Liverpool aspect, Sturridge, obviously the most talented striker still there. You've brought in Danny Ings to back him up. Balotelli's still in the mix. Where do you, what do you think you'll be doing at your striker position? I think that he, that he being Rogers is going to continue to play this modified uh, three, two, one, three, one three that he's playing and you know we're going to see Sturridge when he's healthy playing in the lone striker role and I think that when Sturridge is not healthy we're going to see a front three of uh and I mean I hate to say it this way but it's going to be Coutinho, Lulana and Roberto Firmino uh, with with Sterling departed and behind that um you know interestingly the uh, the termination or the the rumor termination of the Javier Ranquillo loan uh, one you know one year into a two-year loan that's interesting as well um, certainly the signing of Nathaniel Klein is an excellent one for that style uh, you mentioned <laughs> for fantasy obviously in, in the Taga format where you know we score across 20 different categories Nathaniel Klein phenomenal I mean defensively he's amazing last season if you look at what he was able to do defensively a lot of people think that you know most of his value came you know on, on the attacking side of the ball but he had 62 interceptions he had 75 tackles one um, he did create 25 chances, and shockingly, none of those 25 chances created were able to be turned into uh, an assist. <laughs> and you know, that was a Southampton, but Liverpool weren't much better uh, putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, so any chance that that you know Klein's able to create is is a uh, you know a, a very large positive um, for this side that, while not devoid of creativity, certainly you know lacked the creativity they had uh, the season before when Suarez was was present. 
All right, and we are going to wrap up with the position you think you most need to improve uh, come the season. Scott, I know you've already done a lot of business, but is there any gaps that you need to fill? Um, Messi, he's all right. Like if we get him in. Um, yeah, like on a low fee. Yeah, Ronaldo. After his maybe. struggles with Argentina, he can't win a cup there. So maybe if he comes. Yeah, I just read now. I don't know if it's true. Apparently, he refused the Golden Ball Trophy. I I don't not know. Literally, just seen. That. I haven't even bothered clicking the link because I, I don't like the website. <laughs> I, saw, I, I don't like the website I saw it on. So <laughs> I'm quite facetious like that. Um, in seriousness, it's a strange one. It, it all depends on what on what formation we're playing. Because to be honest. We're pretty well stocked now in, in almost every position, apart from striker, and we're not going to spend any money there now. So, I mean, like up top, we got Gomez and Ed Air. We just spent, I think, well, five million is, is the talk of how much Ed Air cost. Um, if you're looking at wing, we've got Montero, AU can play out on the wing, um, Routledge, Nathan Dyer, Kenji Gorst came on the last game of the season, top scorer in the under 21s last season. Uh, Modu Barrow came on and, and yeah, Arsenal don't like playing against him. Um, so we got like five, maybe six wingers, including youth guys. Um, and half the time we're not even playing wingers. Then you look at the central midfield, like I mentioned earlier, we've got four quality options, plus Leon Britton, plus Matt Grimes played quite a bit, uh, one of the youngsters bringing through. Jay Fulton played quite a bit, he looked really good. Um, Josh Sheehan's another youngster again. And then you look at the defence, like I say, Taylor and Tabernu at left back. Um Ash, Fernandez, Amat, Bartley at centre-back, Norton and Rangel at right-back. Um, we've got two international goalkeepers as well. So I'd say across the board, we've pretty much got two players for every position, regardless of the formation we're playing. But the talk is that we're kind of still in the market for like a wide forward winger. Whether there's any truth in that, you never know at this time of year. Um, and like a couple of people, like James Beattie, gave a quote. Oh, yeah, there we go. There's a transfer I didn't mention. Got James Beattie in his first team coach. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to stop saying James Beattie syndrome now. But it's all right, because Michu looks like he's off. So I can I can rename it Michu Who's syndrome. Who's going to take him? Yeah, anyone who... I think, well, basically, we'll give him away, I think, is the thing. So if there's a club in Spain who want him, it's worth us subsidizing the last year of his wages just to get him off the wage bill. Like Deportivo and a couple of the other, Malaga and Espanyol have been linked with him. So so hopefully it's, it's better for everybody if he's playing football and he obviously wants out with the club or, or did anyway and, and it's hard to come back from that. Um, so fingers crossed that can get done. But yeah, I mean, in general, like I say, I think sort of wide forward is, is the area that's being talked about. But like like I mentioned, James Beattie gave an interview at TalkSport and they said, is your transfer business done? And he said, pretty much, yeah. And maybe one more arrival. But I'm not expecting any anything big money or anything, and um, yeah, like I say, I think we're pretty much done, and I think it's I think I think it's brilliant to be honest to to have all our transfer stuff done this early. All the players can concentrate now on preseason, and uh, and hopefully we can have another cracking season in 2015-16. All right, Jim, I know we've tweeted back and forth a little bit about possible departures. Sounds like most of your squad is for sale if the price is right, specifically Mahrez and Vardy. Um, any any people you have lined up in case those go through? Um, I think we're making contingencies um, for a potential Vardy transfer with um, Osaki coming in. Um, we've now got kind of five strikers um, and it's difficult to see how they're all going to be kept happy. Uh, especially because we've got Cramerich, who is yet to kind of shine for us, but we bought him as a big prospect. Um, so therefore, we've got big money strikers in um, 
Asaki, uh, Joa and Kramerich, uh, which is basically, I think it's about 15, 16, 17 million even between them in terms of fees, depending on who you talk to, um, which is a lot for us. Plus Vardy, who, you know, is is, is probably what our player of the year last year or one of them. Um and David Nugent, I think we'd be prepared to let David Nugent kind of sit on the bench, but how we're going to rotate those four players is is beyond me, really. So that's why I thought that one of them might be leaving. Um, I think the position that we need to improve the most probably is still central midfield. I think we've made reinforcements in the in other areas like fullback, as I said earlier. Um, but I think central midfield, basically, we need to fill the um, Esteban Cambiasso-shaped hole if he doesn't sign a new contract which is not going to be something that's easy to do because the guy was an absolute Rolls Royce of a player for us um, still the best player I've seen in the Leicester shirt in my lifetime without a shadow of a doubt um, he has been he's still in the city um, he's been pictured in various places he hangs around with Ujera a lot um, because he's Argentinian, uh, they're kind of Argentinian. Mm. Um, apart from Ujera now decides he wants to play for Chile, even though it didn't work out because he didn't get picked very often in a national team. Um, but that's by the by. Um, so I think another kind of top class central midfielder is an issue. We've we've signed Dean Hammond on a one year extension. His contract expired um, on the on the on the last day of June. So we've got him signed up to an extension. But in terms of our central midfield options like Danny Drinkwater and Matty James and Dean Hammond uh, and Andy King, they're they're good, but they're not of that level of Cambiasso. Um so I think that is the position that we need to focus on now. Um I'm not sure who the potential replacement for him is. I don't think this guy coming in from from Marseille is is that. He's a defensive midfielder so kind of be he would fill that hole but we need someone to be dynamic enough to be versatile like Cambiasso was he'd go forward and leave others to do the defensive clearing up behind him um and then if we were under pressure he could drop deep and spray the ball out wide um and I don't think anyone that we've been linked to yet has that that set that skill set and ability to to be able to do that um so yeah I think that next on the hit list for the transfer committee um after a manager it's probably going to be a central midfielder. So hopefully someone, whoever we bring in, has potentially got some contacts that we can exploit to um, to fill that hole. Yeah, John, obviously this would be easier if we knew what kind of formation uh, Braji was going to go with this year. But what are you expecting to as far as incoming? I mean, if I had my choice, I mean, I'd like to see two centre-backs coming in. Um, one for cover, one at least, so that Emre Chan can go play back in the midfield where he should be playing. Uh, I mean, if you have that midfield legitimate midfield four of uh, Henderson, Milner, uh, Emery Chan, and uh, Adam Lallana with the front three of Sterling, uh, Coutinho, and Roberto Firmino. I mean, that's that's a side I'll go to war with. I mean, I think that side is certainly capable of challenging for a top four. Obviously, we would need significant cover. Um, we're going to see a couple of players going out still. I know Lucas Livia just tweeted the other day that he's, you know, reporting back at Liverpool and one can only imagine how many replies he got. Yeah, but for how long or something significantly less polite. And, um, you know, if, if they don't find, um, another goalkeeper and if Simon Mignolet is the number one, I think that's fine. But I do, I do worry that, you know, you're going to see Rogers, uh, juggle that a little bit and, and, um, you know, Obviously, they did just bring in, um, uh, they brought in Adam Bogdan from Bolton. 
fine as a backup keeper. I, I can't possibly imagine he's going to get an extended run. Um, so let's see. Uh, we need a striker. Uh, we need a defensive midfielder or two center backs to allow Merchant to move into the midfield. And we need a keeper that's capable of challenging for the starting shirt. Other than that, I think, you know, fair bit of business done. And <laughs> I mean, realistically, I don't know what else to say at this point. If you told me that, you know, this would be this would be the direction they went. I, I would not have been surprised. I certainly would have signed up for most of these signings. Um, Milner and Ings for the combined whatever they're going to cost that is Danny Ings, um, you know, U23 buyout yeah. fee is fine. Um, the two young players that they've signed are fantastic. A backup keeper is never going to really, you know, cause much ink to be spilt. Uh, and if Klein and Firmino are the two of the three or four marquee signings that we make, that's fine. Those players are well capable of being two of the four marquee signings that we bring in. Just means we need two more now. Yeah, I think Tottenham are kind of in a similar uh, situation to Liverpool there, where you can pretty much add somebody at every position. Um, the the one I'm going to, you know, most of those are based on outgoings, though. So the position that still needs to be strengthened for me is who is going to play next to Bentaleb in that midfield. Um, a little bit, we got our hopes up on Schneiderlin, probably should have known better. Um, based on all of his Champions League comments, but that's still the big need for us. Somebody to pass the ball next to Ben Taleb or somebody to kind of be a destroyer next to him so he can play more box-to-box. I think he's an incredibly flexible player, at least in this stage of his development, where he kind of offers it all, um, but kind of a jack-of-all-trades at this point with kind of glimpses of what he could be in, in different facets. So it'll be interesting to see what we do there, but we need somebody else back there. Um don't have a ton of options really out there either anymore uh, that, that are really kind of in our bracket. I saw that Southampton were looking to replace um, Schneider with Jordi Classy, which I would obviously love at Tottenham. Um, players like that, maybe Danny Parejo in La Liga is, is very good. Uh, I think he's at Valencia. Um, so like players like that, that they could really distribute the ball well, I think would very much benefit us. Uh, all the other positions are based on outgoings, like I said. I think either, either Adebayor or Soldado will go come uh, the end of the transfer season. Uh, also, we already mentioned Aaron Lennon on the way out. I think we're set for defenders if we do bring in Alderweireld, uh, get rid of Kabul and Kirakesh, hang on to Fazio um, to, to see if he can kind of regain his form. Um, but I think that would pretty much sort us. Uh, we've heard multiple reports that, that we've had offers for Kane and Larice, but we're not listening to them. So, uh, gonna, you know, trust the club on that uh, until proven otherwise, that would obviously be devastating. I'd assume that we'd probably rely on Vorm to be kind of our first team keeper and then bring somebody else in to kind of blood them to get them ready for the following season. If that happened, um, I, I just can't see us selling Kane for any price because, we, we don't have another option. I mean, if you think that Ade, Ade and Soldado are both already having a foot out the door, it's very hard to sell one of your academy products that's come through and is only on 35 k a week. It, you know, you'd have to get just a, a heap load of money to make that even a viable option. And I don't think anybody will come in at, you know, 50 plus, which I realize isn't a realistic price, but that's probably how much he's worth to us at the moment. Um, so I would expect him to stay as well. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you'd like to tell people where they can reach you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, cheers for listening. Um, I run the swansyway.co.uk. Check that out. There's always stuff going up on there, like five, ten articles a day. 
Um, yeah, check that out. Follow, follow us on Twitter at the Swansea Way, or you can follow uh, our podcast on Twitter as well at the Jackcast, which is a Swansea City podcast. Or if you wanted to follow me personally on Twitter, I don't know why you would. It's at TSW Scott. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at Jim Knight eighty eight for more Leicester related kind of mental breakdowns and general um, general ramblings about football and Premier League and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm John Wallen. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Gaffer, or you can find the account I curate for Play Taga at Play Taga. Um, Taga is going to be launching the 2015-2016 Fantasy EPL draft season uh, in the coming 10 days. And as a complement to that, we'll be launching a 350-page uh, ebook that includes uh, 20 team reviews and uh, summaries of more than 350 players, as well as optostats uh, available for the previous three seasons on our site uh free to join free to play you can find us at www.playtaga.com yeah i'm your host kevin devries if you'd like to reach me on twitter i'm at kevroth and if you'd like to reach the podcast as always you can either tweet us at epl roundtable or email us at epl roundtable at gmail.com all right thanks so much for joining us guys it's been a pleasure as always and we hope you keep listening Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.